Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we'll commence our reading there at at verse 8. Beloved, hear once again the holy word of our holy God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in the midst, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then if you would turn with me, the book of Deuteronomy holding your place in Exodus 20, but turning to Deuteronomy 5 as well. Deuteronomy 5. <clears throat> Commence there at verse 12. Deuteronomy 5 and the 12th verse. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is in within thy gates. That thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Amen. This is far the reading of God's holy word. And may we indeed be richly blessed under it this evening. Well, I would remind you just by way of a very brief introduction that as we look at the law of God, um, the scriptures set before us not only a precept, it not only enjoins upon us a, a certain disposition of heart, but the scriptures time and time again show, show us by example how you and I are supposed to sit under these commands. We read of it this morning. We read of a psalmist who truly delighted in the law of his God. A a psalmist who meditated deeply in the word of God and who said after careful, careful inspection, after after prayerful meditation, that, that truly from the heart he judged that in all things, all of God's precepts were right. Christian, as we come to the law of God, that, that ought to be our prayer. That the Lord God would indeed, through his renovating grace, lead us to hear his word, his precepts in that way. These things would not only be for our instruction, but really we would find our hearts inclined to what he says. 
And Christian, what have we found? As we've looked at these first four commandments, we've found that God has a special attention paid to his worship. And, and he prescribes for us clearly how it is we're supposed to approach him. And in fact, these four commandments that we've seen so far can be really organized in that way. Uh, that is around the subject of worship. The first commandment gives us he who is properly and only the object of our worship. The second commandment tells us he who regulates that worship. The third commandment gives to us the manner in which that worship is to be conducted. And the fourth commandment, uh, that text that we have before us this evening, prescribes for us the day principally in which that worship is to be observed. God is concerned about his worship. And beloved, we as we've sat under these commandments time and again should see that so very clearly. And so we come to the fourth commandment with that in mind. The Lord God is instructing us in how we are to approach him. The fourth commandment, of course, deals with the Sabbath. The word that we have Sabbath here is derived, of course, from the Hebrew word Shavat. It means simply to rest or to cease. And of course, that drives our mind back to Genesis 2. God, of course, had created all things in six days. And though God's omnipotence, of course, was still at work, all things were still, still sustained by his active power. His creative work had ceased, and so the seventh day is marked by a day of rest. Now, all of that's, of course, well known to us. But I want you to notice how this is to be observed according to the fourth commandment. In Exodus 20, we're told that we are to remember the Sabbath day. Now, of course, beloved, that word means simply to call the thing to mind. But even that, beloved, has a much broader scope and view. It could mean literally, and it, of course, includes it, that there has to be some kind of conscientiousness. There is some kind of intellectual awareness that is commanded here. And the scriptures use that word, of course, in that way. God, when he's expostulating with Israel and the prophets, says, Israel has not remembered me nor laid it to heart. In other words, she's neither called it to mind, nor has this entered into her inmost being, penetrating both her intellectual and, and her affectionate faculties. And beloved, that is the second aspect of remembrance throughout the scripture. It's not just conscientiousness, but it is affection as well. You remember in Isaiah 58, as we read it, when the Lord God enjoins them to take up Sabbath keeping. He says they are to do so by calling the Sabbath day a delight. The remembrance of the Sabbath day in the prophet is obviously one that is inextricably tied to the inclination or to the affection of God's people. And, and Christian, I remind you uh, that as the Lord calls us to remember these things, he doesn't simply say observe. He does say in Deuteronomy 5, keep the Sabbath day, but here he says remember. And, and that should remind us that the spiritual aspect of the law of God is still very much in force. He's calling men not just to engage in external behavior. He's not calling men just to concern themselves with what other men may see, but, but really he is summoning the inmost part of man to, be, to obedience. He's driving them from the heart to this commandment. They are, to remember, they are to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it. That is to hold it, to practice it, 
And the question, obviously, next is how. How are we to remember or keep the Sabbath day? The scriptures put it to us clearly in this way, that we are to sanctify or to keep it holy. That is, it is a day to be set apart, and it's to be employed for immediate or divine service. That's, beloved, the crucial element that we're going to take up this evening. The Lord God calls us to sanctify the Sabbath day. And that is to set it apart that it may belong only to him. And and for an analogy, we can go back even further in the book of Exodus, Exodus 13, where the Lord tells us what he means when he says something must be sanctified to him. Note what he says with regard to the firstborn. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. When the Lord God calls his people to sanctify something, The sense is they are putting it only to the service of God as his. Uh, That's the idea in Exodus 13, and certainly that's the idea behind the Sabbath day. It is a day relinquished, if you like, that it might do only that which is immediately in service to God. It is God's right that we're, we're told here. It is God's day. And so the commandment is that we would use it so. But I want you to notice, not only do do the verses before us this evening set before us the fact we are to remember, and the fact that we are to sanctify the day, but it even gives us an incentive to keep it. Note Note here what the scriptures say. They remind us that the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day. Now, If something is blessed in the scriptures, typically the idea behind it is that that God has communicated some good thing to whatever is said to be blessed. But James Durham is quite helpful here. He puts it to us this way. He says, we're to understand this not simply in respect of the day itself, which is not properly capable of blessing in the fact that it's impersonal, but in respect of the true observers of it. In other words... Beloved, the incentive that's enjoined to this fourth commandment is this. That God has said that this is a day in its observance. You would especially find my blessing. In keeping the Sabbath day, in remembering it, you have annexed to that commandment the promise that this is a day ordinarily when God's blessing might be found. And so Christian, the theme for this evening is quite straightforward. What this commandment enjoins on us by way of duty is simply this, that you and I, we must keep the Lord's day through sanctified rest. You must keep the Lord's day through sanctified rest. And I want us to consider, first of all, what it means to do this. The Lord here says that we are to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so typically... Christian, when we think about the Sabbath day, I suppose we we divide the, the ends of the Sabbath day into two. We are to rest, the Lord God has enjoined us to cease from our labors, and then secondarily, or secondly, we are to engage in worship. I would say by far, broad evangelicals who are thinking about the fourth commandment tend to divide the Sabbath day in that way. But given what we've already said, Christian, I would remind you that the scriptures are quite clear that it's not not a twofold division that the Lord has here in mind. Instead, what you have here is a principle of rest, if you like, in order that we may worship. 
rest to worship. They're not two ideas, but one with two components. And Christian, what you have then in this text is a clear command that true Sabbath keeping is indeed an act of worshipful rest. True Sabbath keeping is an act of worshipful rest. And this evening, because our our time is limited, I, I will only deal really with a basic principle. This idea of resting so that we may worship. It comes to us, first of all, in creation itself. Again, as you go back to Genesis 2, you have there the idea that, that Adam is to fall into that pattern that God himself had set in terms of his creative work. That, that just as God had worked for six days, so Adam was to work for six days, and then on the seventh day he was to rest. But you remember, beloved, when we go back to the word sanctify, that word here does not mean simply that it's set apart. It's not so nebulous. Adam was to set this day apart, yes, as a day in which his labors had ceased, but they have ceased so that the day may be devoted to the worship of God. That's the idea, even in the creation Sabbath. The idea was the seventh day in the creation, it was devoted so that Adam would lay aside his earthly labors so that he would worship. But that was before sin. Before redemption. What of the church's experience of Sabbath keeping afterward? Well, beloved, the same principle applies, but it it takes upon itself new and deeper meaning. Again, for that, I would have to refer you back to Deuteronomy 5. Because in Exodus 20, you remember, Moses, there writing under God's inspiration, drives us to think about creation when we think about the Sabbath. But when we come to Deuteronomy 5, the second giving of the law, Moses turns our attention instead to the Exodus. And why would he do that? Well, beloved, if you think back to Moses' commissioning, we have an answer quite at hand. Remember, Moses was commanded to tell Pharaoh this. Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn, that I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve, or in the original, that he may worship me. Note what Moses was to carry to Pharaoh. He was to carry to Pharaoh this command that that God's people would be freed from their slavery, that their labors in Egypt would come to an end so that they may worship God. You can see how fitting it is that we draw that parallel between Genesis 2 and what you have here in Deuteronomy 5. You see, for the church, it's not just as it was for Adam that that he would labor for six days and, and the seventh day he would devote to the worship of God. But for the believer, beloved, it becomes something so much more. It carries with it that self-same principle that was there in the garden, but it acquires this deeper meaning. In the keeping of the Sabbath, you and I are testifying genuinely that we have truly been made to rest so that we may worship. We have been made, as the Apostle puts it so very clearly in Romans 6, we've been made those who are free from sin so that we may become servants of righteousness. Beloved, it's the same basic principle. We have been liberated, freed, so that we may rest, and that we may worship. And what does that look like? 
If that's the general principle that, that rest is given to the people of God and even given to Adam in the garden primarily that he may devote that day to God's worship. What does that look like? For the sake of time, I'll take your minds back just for a moment to one place, to the book of Nehemiah. And there you'll remember in chapter 13, as Nehemiah engages in the work of Reformation, in the Reformation of Judah, you'll remember there that that he encounters a problem. The children of Judah are engaging in commerce on the Sabbath day. They're in the marketplace. And not only are they in the marketplace, but the children of Tyre, they've come over as well, and they've set up their markets too. And you remember Nehemiah's response. First of all, he reminds them of their duty, referring here, of course, to the fourth commandment. And he tells them very pointedly, it's not to be done. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. But as you look at that text, it would be wrong for us to miss how this whole thing ends. This episode in Nehemiah's Reformation ends with Nehemiah turning to the Levites and saying to them, you must be about your work. Go back to the gates. And why would he do that? Well, beloved, he's doing that because it's not just the case that markets markets are to be closed for their own sakes. No, no, Nehemiah knows that if the markets are open, it's because Judah is either thinking or primarily present in the marketplace and not in the temple. Not in the place of worship. And Nehemiah turns and he says to the Levites, no, it's twofold. The markets are to be closed. They are to be closed because the day is to be spent in the worship of God. You are to rest from your labors, says Nehemiah, that you may be found in devotion to the Lord. And in a way unlike others throughout the course of the week. And so, beloved, you have there a clear example of this principle. That you and I, when we are called to rest, when we are called to the Sabbath day, we are called not to rest in itself, but we are called indeed We are called to rest in order to worship. And that, of course, has so many implications, doesn't it? You see, we are called, we are called that our primary focus, that our primary purpose in this 24-hour period would be in special devotion to God. In fact, our confession of faith puts it so clearly, doesn't it? Our works, our words, our thoughts are to be taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. That's the principle. We are called to rest in order that we may worship. Now what of the issues of necessity and mercy? I'll just briefly call your attention to it. There, the Lord God tells us clearly, as he does through his son in Matthew 12, Luke 13 that we read as well, that we are to be engaged in works of necessity and mercy. Those works of necessity, of course, are those things that it's necessary for our livelihood that they continue. Works of mercy are doing those works of livelihood for someone else who can't do them for for themselves. It's not just kindness generally. It is genuinely doing works of necessity for others. And so you see this in Christ's example in Matthew 12. Christ raises from the law this question. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not, hold, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? 
How much then is a man better than a sheep? Christ's conclusion is thus. Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. But beloved, moving aside just for a moment, as we'll consider that further, God willing, next Lord's Day evening, I want us to raise again this idea that your rest and mine is a purposeful rest. Yes, physically, uh, the Lord knows our finitude and has graciously, mercifully given to us, even gave to Adam in the garden prior to the fall, time that he may recuperate. But as we've seen from the scriptures, that time to rest is to be devoted, if you like, to a worshipful or a sanctified rest. In other words, beloved, our bodily rest is not the primary focus of the Sabbath day. And so, what does that mean? I just direct your attention back to what I read to you out of the Confession of Faith. Our works, our words, our thoughts are to be taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship. Christian, I think it's right for me at this point just to step aside and and think about our own context for a moment. You see, when we think about the fourth commandment, I think many of us think immediately about the decline that we've seen in our own lifetime. Of course, what I'm referring to there is genuinely the legislation of Sabbath breaking. And there we, there we would say that there was the clear mark of, of, of a society moving away from what God has commanded. Certainly it was. But let me ask you this evening, when, when did that begin? I mean, when did, we really, when did we really lose this principle that the Sabbath day was a day to be set aside as a day of sanctified or worshipful rest? When did we lose that? And I'd submit to you that we didn't lose it 50 years ago. We didn't lose it 100 years ago. We didn't lose it two centuries ago. You see, that principle has been lost to us for quite some time. And it wasn't lost to society before then. It was lost to the church long ago. We lost this principle long before we lost Sabbath laws. In the 1870s, there was a society that was created, and the title was simply, A Pleasant Sunday Afternoon. 1870s, and and it was started by a bunch of of churches, both in America and in Britain. And the idea was, is that after you had your, your time in, in, on the Lord's Day morning at worship, then the rest of the afternoon would become a family day. Of course, you remember, in 1870, uh, Ford hadn't petitioned for another day of recreation. Saturday was still a work day, part of the work week. And so the idea was, if we have this pleasant Sunday afternoon, well, then, then we can strengthen our families, and, and then church members can really, really get together and, and really just have a good time. It'd be a time of recuperation, a time of rest. Pleasant Sunday afternoon. But if you go back, friend, just a bit further, what you'll find is that already it was being taught in the churches here and elsewhere that the Sabbath day was really for you. It was a day for your recuperation. It was not a day really sanctified to the Lord. And Friend, I say this not to preach you the traditions of men. I say this not to discourage you. But do you realize, do you realize that in our tradition, 400 years ago, 
The Sabbath day consisted of three sermons and two lectures in every parish. Morning, afternoon, and evening, with lectures in between. No, friend, we've lost Sabbath keeping long before we lost Sabbath laws. But what of the equity? What of the reasonableness of this command? We're told here that God has blessed the Sabbath day. Beloved, I'd remind you that here then we're looking at two aspects of the command. We're looking first of all the fact that God in his sovereignty has set aside one day in seven that would be devoted entirely to his worship. And then we're also told that it comes with a special promise. I want you to notice, beloved, that the Sabbath day then is is to be kept as an act of devotion and as a practice of seeking grace. You see, in the creation Sabbath, the Sabbath day was simply also another expression of divine lordship. God has set clearly before Adam his work week. Six days and no more. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And so when Adam acquiesced in the Sabbath day, when he acquiesced in this command, he was acknowledging God's sovereignty over his labors. And beloved, the gracious Sabbath is no different, but it, but it comes to us with that superadded obligation. What I mean by that is, again, what I was referring to in Deuteronomy 5. We are not only a people created and so under the sovereignty of God by virtue of our, of our being men and women. But as Moses writing there, as God's prophet speaks to the church... So it's true of us that we have been redeemed and and so as it were the Lord God has another obligation placed over over us. You see here the gracious Sabbath, the Sabbath of redemption. When we acquiesce in it, we are paying homage to the fact that the Lord God truly has purchased us to himself. We are to owe him obedience as our creator, of course, but also as our redeemer. It's really the point of Deuteronomy 5. Moses says there, Thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm you are now his. And so, beloved, in keeping the Sabbath day, you and I are paying homage to the fact that we are under his scepter. We can go a step further. The Sabbath day then was also a day given not only as a token of divine sovereignty, but it was given also, of course, as a means of mercy. Even the creation Sabbath can be considered in this way, albeit with qualifications. You you see, it was a day of rest to Adam. Though created and created innocent, created with a nature that was not yet ravaged by the effects of sin, nevertheless, his energies, his powers were not infinite. And so God has allotted to him one day in seven wherein he may rest. But again, as we've been saying, that purpose in resting was so that he may worship. And beloved, you remember Adam here in the garden. Adam is working with all of the creatures. And Adam, as he sees with an unalloyed sight, all of these things extolling the glory of his God. He has all of these things, as it were, set before him. And the Sabbath day allows him to give vent. To give vent to all of those worshipful, lively acts of devotion. 
Adam could cry on the Sabbath day, Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul, know, my soul knoweth right well. To Adam it, was, it would have been an estimable privilege, an incredible delight, not just to cease from his days of labor, but really to have an entire day devoted to that which he desired most, as a man not yet ravaged by sin. That was also the creation Sabbath. What of the gracious or redemption Sabbath that we know? Well, beloved, when the Lord God says there that he has blessed it, and there meaning that he has annexed a special promise of blessing to those who observe it, the Sabbath day becomes for us a day in which sinners may freely and expectantly seek grace and communion with the Lord. And so, Christian, this is to be our disposition. We keep the Sabbath day, esteeming it not only a great privilege, not only a duty with which we are to be conscientious, but a day of mercy. A day of of great mercy, a market day truly for the soul. And if we regard it such, then, Christian, how should we think of it? Should not those words of the psalmist echo, My soul longeth, yea, fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Beloved, if this is the blessing that has been given, When is that day that we should expect the Lord God to manifest that he dwells among his people most? When, as as the apostle describes it for us in 1 Corinthians 14, when is it that we should expect unbelievers even to say, God is in you of a truth? You see, the Lord God has set aside one day in seven in which even we, who are fallen creatures redeemed only by free grace, may walk with the living God. And may do so expecting his mercy. And so, beloved, this command comes to us like the father commanding the hungry child to eat. This command comes to us like the benevolent employer commanding his employee to rest. That's the fourth commandment. It is a a wonderful act, yes, displaying divine sovereignty, displaying that we are a people who must must have a heart to worship Him. But also it's a command that that comes to us with so many promises of mercy and of grace. Comes to us truly as a token of our benevolent, our benevolent God. And though this would get farther than our focus this evening, it should raise the question in our own hearts. How aggravated then is our Sabbath breaking? How sinful is it not only to transgress a creation ordinance, but a creation ordinance that has been instituted even in redemption for your soul and for mine to know the blessing of God. How irrational is it for us? How irrational is it for us to use this day otherwise when we know that, beloved, this is a day that God has said, Not only does he own, but in using it aright, 
He promises blessing. And so as we close, we come to the exercise of these things. And Christian, I would only briefly remark that in the gospel accounts, we find a very clear picture that those who indeed follow Christ will be Sabbath keepers. And in the spiritual sense of the word. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn and his disciples were in hunger and he began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Doing work of necessity and really work of mercy. Something that the Sabbath day is, is to see. But then I want you to notice this. When he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. You see, Christ used those works of mercy and necessity only insofar as was necessary. And then he was found in the worship of God. It was not an either or. No, beloved, here you have a clear picture of perfect Sabbath keeping. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Again, a clear picture here of Sabbath keeping. Works of necessity and of mercy. But all, all, with this basic principle before us. Rest in order to worship. And so, Christian, if we see our Christ engaging in such things, how highly should we esteem Sabbath keeping? When we think about Christ's likeness, when we think about godliness, do we really think about the fourth commandment these days? When we think about piety, do we think about this? When we pray for sanctification, do we pray with regard to the fourth commandment? Well, beloved, we ought to. And Christ's example only reinforces that. As we close and apply this text to us, I want to call to your mind what we said last time we were together, that the Sabbath day was something that was known even in the light of nature. And we see this throughout Gentile worlds that did not have the light of the gospel for so many millennia. Take, for example, the Assyrian day, the Assyrian Sabbath. The Assyrian Sabbath was defined thus. It was a day of divine heart rest. A day of divine heart rest. It's a rough translation, but the idea is this, that the Assyrians said that, that in homage to their pantheon, one day had to be devoted entirely to them and to their worship, and moreover, it was to be done so from the heart. Not just externals, but the whole day, word, thought, and action was to be rendered only in worship to their God. That was a pagan land. And surely, beloved, just that fact rebukes the West, the lands in which we live. That we would have a day of rest just that we may worship. It's unconscionable for so many. But even, beloved, doesn't that reprove not only Roman Catholics, but broad evangelicals who would say that it should be a whole day of rest full worship. Not just an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, but a whole day spent in devotion to God. And does it not also reprove the Pharisees and the formalists who would say that Sabbath keeping can be done purely externally and without the heart, without affection? And so, Christian, the question that is raised from this text is simply this. 
Beloved, do you have, when you look at the fourth commandment, do you make conscience of it as something that, as it were, was spoken to you directly? Is this a precept that you regard carefully? And Christian, if you do, then there is a reminder in this text. First of all, a blessing has been annexed in it. As we rest truly only through the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith lodged in him, we may even expectantly seek his blessing every Sabbath day. But there's something else in this text. There's something else in this principle that we can't miss either. Well, do you realize that as we said before that the Sabbath was a precept and also a sign, do you realize what that signifies to you and to me? Christian, as you put down your labors last night, as you put aside all of your recreations last night in preparation for today, it was a real thing that you did. It was a tangible thing that you did. Do you realize that just as really and just as tangibly, one day the Lord God will call to you, And will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. As he does in Revelation 14. Those who die in the Lord, he says of them, come enter into his rest. Beloved, do you realize that for the godly, just as tangibly as you laid aside your work last night, the godly will one day be told to put down their shovel, put down their spade, and to enter into an everlasting rest. That should hearten you and it should hearten me. Because that day is coming. The Sabbath day then, as many of our older divines have put it, was a preparation for death. If you can easily lay aside the things of the world, all of its pleasures, even its lawful things, on the Saturday, and really take yourself to the worship of God on the Lord's day, And beloved, it is, as it were, a foretaste of that great and that final divide. You are only preparing yourself for that moment when he calls you into his everlasting rest. And so, Christian, the exhortation for us is to prepare. I know we didn't speak much of it, but if the day is to be spent in such a way as would most mortify the flesh a day in which we are to rest as much as we possibly can from even our lawful things, then we must be a people who on the Saturday are preparing for it. We've lost this. We have lost this horribly. But beloved, what you do on a Saturday evening, what you do on a Saturday evening will definitely impact what you do on the Lord's Day morning. But this command, of course, enjoins us also to be a people who make conscience of observing the Sabbath day in the way that the Lord God would have us. From the heart, with an eye fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and that blessing that is promised in using it, and only through him. May we be a people who indeed, as the Apostle puts it to us in Hebrews 3, enter into his rest. Amen.